Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We are glad you're here. Uh, my name is Matt, campus pastor here. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we are uh, having fun, enjoying this weather, and uh, going through our series here called Vision. Uh, what we're really looking at uh, through this time is just uh, why we do what we do. Uh, why do we uh, believe the things we believe and how do those beliefs change our actions and, and how we interact and the things we do as a church. And uh, we've been talking through the things that we do are not an accident. Um, they're on purpose. They're because we believe this is how God would call us uh, to live. And as we're looking at this vision series, um, we were talking a few weeks ago, we heard from our lead pastor, Josh Jones, as he uh, talked about what it would look like for us as uh, an entire ministry of our, our six campuses to see what God's going to do in this next season. And part of it was multiplication uh, and that we were, one, hoping to multiply campuses and launch because uh, amazing things happen when we launch campuses. God saves a crazy amount of people as we bring the, bring the gospel to a new community. Um, but, but also, the other multiplication was that of leaders um, that we felt we needed and were called to raise up leaders to, to carry the torch, to carry the mission uh, forward and to reach these communities. And we get to uh, and, uh, celebrate a bit of that this morning uh, as we are seeing some old multi- multiplication right here in Halstead with uh, David and Joanna. So David and Joanna, I want to invite you guys up. While they're on their way up here, two years ago, we got a batch of three interns uh, that came in when the church was closed down. Uh, we weren't meeting, and they showed up to a church that wasn't meeting, and they said, what do we do? And we said, we don't know, because we don't know what to do either, because uh, we've never been shut down like this before. Uh, they stuck with us, and then we went through some huge transitions on staff, um, and any sane person on the inside may have gone, what's going on? But instead, these guys said, how can we help? How can we be involved? What can we do? And they have been absolutely pivotal uh, to moving it forward. And we've been able to uh, hang out with these guys and work with them for the last two years. You've gotten to know them. Uh, and David graduated from seminary earlier this year. Uh, and then he went through his ordination council back in June, right? It was in June. I don't think he's ever sweat so much in his life. Uh, but he passed it with flying colors. So he is on his way to his ordination service uh, to be ordained as a pastor. Well, here's where it's exciting for us is I, as a campus pastor, uh, get to nominate who I would like to be my assistant pastor and how that process works is I go to the lead pastor and say, I want this guy. And then we go to the overseers and say, uh, we want this guy. And uh, we have done that with David. Uh, so David and Joanne have been interviewed by the overseers. Yep. Uh, they've been interviewed by the overseers, also sweat a lot there, uh, passed with flying colors. If you don't know this couple, um, you know that it is a no-brainer. Uh, these guys are incredible. They love the community. They love you guys. Uh, they love serving. I couldn't have done what I've been able to do the last two years uh, if it wasn't for David and Joanna. Uh, we're so excited for them, but here's the deal. I can't go anywhere until you all say yes. Okay? So constitutionally, what needs to happen now is you as a campus members, if you're a member here at Bridgewater, uh, you need to vote on September 25th is the vote for them. Uh, so make sure you're all here and you all vote yes. If you're voting no, go on vacation. Okay? <laughs> Just kidding. Vote honestly, but we, we love them. Uh, we're not going to do an official Q&A simply because he's been around here for two years. He's accessible. If you have questions, buy him breakfast ask him questions, and uh, we, we just really want to cheer them on. I, I can't say enough good things about these two. Uh, we're so excited for them and looking forward to what God might do in the future. So would you pray uh, with me? This is a huge step in their process of becoming a pastor uh, and, and pastor's wife, um, and we're just really excited for them. So would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Dearly Father, we come before you, and yeah, we thank you so much for David and Joanna. 
We thank you that uh, the love that you have shown them so evidently flows from them, God. Uh, their care for people and their desire to see people know you and follow you is, is it's awesome. God, it's so fun to watch. I pray for protection over them as they continue to take these steps into ministry, God, that you would guard their marriage, you would guard uh, just them as individuals, that you would use them in bigger ways than they even thought possible. I pray that we as a church would love them well, that we would encourage them and uphold them and pray for them often. God, we, we thank you and praise you for what you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's give another round of applause. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Uh, if you have any questions about the process, please feel free to talk to me. Um, I'm also one of the overseers of Bridgewater, so um, I've been kind of in all of this process with them. But if you have any questions, please feel free to, to ask them. So uh, let's jump into our sermon here. We are today talking about life is better connected. If uh, you couldn't figure out by all the green shirts running around, we're talking about small groups today. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about what we said last week. And what we talked about last week was really this question of if you're going to help somebody take their next step, uh, who is it? It was the conversation we really revolved around who are the people that you are investing to help take uh, their next steps, that we're not called to be passive, we're called to be active in the lives of people. And really all of ministry is about people, right? Like David and Joanna are not signing up for uh, a position. They're signing up for a place to serve and love people. Everything revolves around that. And so as you consider the people that you're called to serve, I want you to just for a minute this morning, consider the people that have helped you in your journey. Who has helped you take your next steps in following Jesus? Go ahead and throw that up there, buddy. Who has helped you take your next steps in following Jesus? Think with me. Who maybe uh, invested in your life or invited you? So by show of hands this morning, how many of you went to a church or this church for the first time uh, whatever timeline of your life, because someone invited you or a parent brought you, right? Show of hands, because a parent brought you or someone invited you, all right? It is almost unanimous across this room. Very rarely will I find somebody who never had anybody talk to them about Jesus, never invested them, and they just showed up at church one day. So across the board, we all have someone to be grateful for that they invested time, energy, and effort into us that we might show up to church. Now, maybe we're not yet a follower of Jesus, but somebody was involved to even get you to this next step, which was showing up on a Sunday morning. And so as you consider those people, I want us to think about the impact that they had on your life. How did they help you? How did they help you develop? Uh, what parts of your life did they challenge? There's this book I'm going through. It's called The Intentional Father um, by John Tyson. I recommend it for uh, Mothers and Fathers. It's a really good book. It's a little in your face, but that's my style. Um, it's how you got to speak to me sometimes. And so it's a great book, but one of the exercises in there is um, list out the most formative moments of your life. Uh, and so you kind of journal through the things that really shaped you as a kid. And the question is, how did you become the man you are today? What helped you get there? So as I was journaling, I, I looked back at the list, and to no surprise of many of you, 90% of the things in there were my failures. And I was like, oh, okay. I see a repeated pattern here. The other 10% were kind of structured time in God's word, but it struck me not necessarily that my failures were so formative, because I think that would seem normal to me, but what was behind all of those failures was a name of a person who had met me in the failure and walked me through it. There was these moments where I, I did something or I made a decision or I said something and it just, it just blew my life up and there was a name behind it. So-and-so met me, saw me in my mess, 
loved me, pointed me back to Jesus, called me to repentance, and showed me a way forward. Those people are the people that I owe a great debt of gratitude to be where I am today because they looked at me and said, how can I help Matt take their, his next step? Who has done that for you? Who has invested in you? Because the thing about this conversation that we're going to have today is it involves getting into people's mess, getting into the lives of people around us, looking beyond ourselves, uh, sacrificing and inconveniencing ourselves for the good of others. Because here's what I know to be true of you. I may not know necessarily how you came to faith or how you came to church, but what I do know is what I just said, which is this. Throw it up there. Every time your character has grown, someone else was involved. Every time you grew up, you, your character changed, you became godlier, you became kinder, somebody else was involved in that process. And it is so tempting in our culture, um, which just basically says, I am my own individual and I do what I want and no one decides for me and I am my own, I am my own God, essentially, is what we're saying in the culture and other religions kind of teach that all the answers are within inside of us. It is so tempting to think that all I need is to dig deep, look inside of me to grow and it's just not true. It's just not true. Right, we live in this kind of isolation, lone wolf, I don't need anybody culture, whether it's because we're afraid of being known or I, I don't know exactly what it might be for you. But um, can, can we just like look at reality for a minute? If they want to punish somebody, maybe they're a prisoner of war and they have secrets they want to get out of them and they want to break them, what do they do? They stick them in a box and cut off human communication. Have you ever met somebody in solitary confinement for an extended period of time who came out a better human? Probably not, right? Because they know psychologically you cut people off from relationships, it begins to break a person. It begins to shut them down. We know this from studies about infants and orphanages. If you take a, took the same kid and you fed him the same amount of food, but you had no contact with him, which sometimes happens in orphanages overseas, no caretaker, no connection, no motherly care, that child will fail to grow emotionally, will fail to grow psychologically, and sometimes will even fail to grow physically at a normal rate. Same nutrition, just a lack of human connection. And so we know psychologically and biologically, without connection, humans literally don't grow. But then somehow we think we're going to grow into be better people when we cut people out of our life. <laughs> That somehow on our own, we have what it takes to get there, and it's just not reality. I think for some of us, there's some real hurts that surround community, which make it difficult to engage. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the past, and that, that's your hesitancy to engage. Or maybe you're just terrified of talking in front of people, and that's your fear. Or, or maybe large groups give you anxiety, and the good news, we call them small groups for you for that reason, right? Because it's not a large group, right? There's all these reasons why we don't engage in community, but I, I think it's a tragedy when we allow those things to become final in our life. They can be uh, reasons, but they cannot be ultimate reasons because um, if you're going to be who God has called you to be and to grow, you have to have other people involved in that process. As I've walked my own journey, there's been plenty of opportunities for me to basically be hurt, be offended, whatever word you want to put on the other side of that, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, and say, you know what? I'm out. Here's my knee-jerk reaction. Maybe you're not built like me. My reaction is, um, if you hurt me, I'm going to withdraw. 
I'm not going to explode. That's just not who I am. I'm going to stuff it, and I'm going to withdraw, and I'm going to put some distance there. It's my safety mechanism. Right? So over the course of my life, this has happened, and um, I've withdrawn. I've gotten quiet, and I know I'm supposed to forgive because that's what Christians do, and so I forgive, but the reality is I'm often very hesitant to then re-engage right? Because there's a difference there between I've forgiven you, but I'm just moving on, and I've forgiven you, and now I'm re-engaging with you in community and connection. So what, what my heart has done several times is basically like, fine, I forgive you, but I want nothing to do with you. And in fact, I'm going to go live my life over here all by myself without you. I'm going to be awesome over here. I'm just going to do me, right? Like, you, we know that moment, right? Like, I'm going to prove to you that I've got what this takes. But you know what's funny about my heart, and maybe this is true of your heart? I'm over here like, you notice that I'm gone, right? Like I'm, I'm looking back at that group of people saying like, oh, I wonder if they notice that I'm gone. The whole time I'm trying to prove to myself I don't need people, I'm craving the very affirmation of the people that I walked away from. And maybe you've experienced this where you look back at that group or that friendship and you go, man, I really hope they're miserable over there. And then you realize they're having a ton of fun and your insecurity goes, well, it looks like they're having more fun without me. That's just the reality. It's like those memes, and if you've ever posted one, I'm not calling you out because I don't know if anybody's posted one in here. It's those memes of like, you know, real strength is when you realize you need no one else. Okay, I'm gonna throw the flag on you. You posted that on a platform that literally circles around people affirming you and noticing you and recognizing you, right? Like, do you see what's happening there? When I see it, I go, somebody who craves to be known, loved, and cared for. They just haven't found a place for that yet because we all crave it. When the church began, Jesus started a movement with a group of people who didn't all get along, didn't all agree. He went to the cross. He died for our sins, was buried, and three days later, he rose again. He then went to this group of people and said, you have the greatest message of hope. You have the resurrection life of Jesus. Go share the message. And what happened was as they began to go, the community, the group, the relationships began to flourish. And so I want to look at that this morning for us as you consider relationships, as you consider communities, you consider small groups, what ought to be true of them? What ought to be true of your relationships? What ought to be true of your uh, connections? And there's some key things for us in here this morning. Acts chapter 4, we get kind of a picture of what was going on in the church. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And you see this idea here of all the believers really, as it says right in there, were in one heart and one mind. And so as you consider what might be for you, as you consider relationships, it would be uh, this point here, that you would join people, go ahead and throw this up there, but that you would join a group of like-minded, like-hearted people. So I want you to consider this morning, who are your people? Right? Like your friends who they think like you, uh, they kind of probably believe like you, maybe they vote like you, they're into the same things that you're into, right? Like your crew, your posse, whatever word you want to call them, right? You just kind of all get along. Not that group. That's not what he's referring to. It's not what's happening here in the book of Acts. Because what's happening in the book of Acts is there's a bunch of people who did not agree politically. We know that very clearly. They were not in the same social class. They were not in the same uh, even race at, at this point. They had kind of grown beyond that. They did not all uh, agree on all of the same things. They were not all of the same age. They did not all have kids. They, did not all, they were not all married. They were an eclectic group of people that all thought differently, but were of one mind and one heart 
about one thing, Christ and Christ crucified. The gospel of Jesus, the resurrection message, gathered together a whole bunch of people who otherwise would have never gotten along. Not only did they get along, they became one of the most contagious movements of people in a direction that we are recipients of today. Why? Because they knew one thing mattered, that we were like-minded and like-hearted together on spreading the message of Jesus. And so if I were to say for you, what is going to help you grow in your character and development is this, that you would join a group of people that are moving together to become more like Jesus. Now what happens to a group when they move disjointedly towards their own preferences? What happens to a group? Bad things. What happens to a church that is a group of people moving on their own preferences? Bad things happen. And so to grow means that we move together. We move in unity for the purpose to look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. That we would uh, have groups. And listen, you can be a part of groups for a lot of things, right? Like I'm sure many of you on Facebook are groups in all sorts of groups. I'm in mountain biking groups and dog training groups and fitness coach groups and fitness groups. And listen, those are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But it's not what my soul needs, What my soul needs is people to come alongside of me and help me find Jesus. There's a a saying, and I don't actually know who said it. Like seven people claim to have said this saying, and so nobody's getting credit for it this morning. Here's the quote. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. A pastor, uh, Greg Rochelle, would go on to say, show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future. As you consider your people, your friend group, the people you're around, do they point you and push you and prod you towards Jesus, or do they pull you away? When you have been around them, are they challenging you on what kind of spouse you are? Are they, are they talking to you about how you're treating your kids? Are they asking you if you're sharing the gospel with lost people? Are they asking you questions about reading the word of God, or are they discouraging those things? Now, who you surround yourself with will determine your character largely because they will shape it. They will influence it. They will pull you. And so who's pulling you and where are they pulling you? A good litmus test for this is if you're married, um, when you come home from hanging out with these groups of friends, are you better for it or do you start fighting afterwards? If you're a kid and you're trying to define your friend group, when you leave these friends, are you more obedient and more honoring, or are you and your parents always fighting, right? Like, there's those group of friends that you know when you hang out with them, you are not the best version of yourself when you leave them. Well, they're pulling you somewhere, and eventually they're going to pull you somewhere different than where you intended to go. Who we surround ourselves with is incredibly important. Next thing I want you to see here actually is in, uh, still in verse 32. I want to read it to you again here. It says, all the believers. Now, as you consider this room this morning, we're not a, we're not a massive church. Um, people will kind of give us grief for being a big mega church. Listen, it's just all context. You put us in Tennessee, we're not even a blip on the map. Like, we don't even exist in a, down there. Like, oh, what's that building? Oh, that'd be a church, right? Like, so it's all context, but people say, oh, well, big churches are bad because you can't be connected. And we need to be like the, the first church and be small. It's just a misreading of Scripture. <laughs> because if you read earlier in Acts, you see that the church had grown to 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children. So the very first church was actually a mega church 
far bigger than we will probably ever see in, the Nor- in New York and PA. Mega church. But that's not all they were. So they met and they did church as we understand it on the weekends, but then they met throughout their weeks in homes. And they ate bread. And they gathered together. And they did small groups. Right? So we, don't, we didn't invent small groups. The early church invented small groups because they realized you could come in here and hide and not be known and you would never grow to the spiritual maturity that God has called you to. That we have to be in groups where we can be known, we can be heard, and we can help each other. Because what it says here at the end of verse 32 is they shared everything they had. That's really hard to do in this context, but it's really easy to do within the context of a small group, which is our second point. As you consider relationships, as you consider community, not only uh, is it what we said earlier, but it's also that you would share with others and let others share with you. It is the, the crux of relationships that it is a giving and receiving. And for some of us, this thing is easy. You're like, okay, yeah, whatever, right? You've just been gifted with kind of an open-handed mentality, and you'll help anybody, and my house is your house, and you're really open to feedback. But for some of us, this is terrifying. Right? Maybe for one of you, or some of you, sharing with others is incredibly intimidating because you don't feel like you have anything to offer. You feel insecure about your Bible knowledge or insecure about whatever it might be, and so you feel hesitant to share. Or maybe you're called to share financially and you just don't like doing that because you like your stuff, right? Like this is tough for some of us. Other of us have no problem sharing our money, right? Just, but we're all called to it, whether it's easy or not. Others of us, letting others share with you might be difficult. Maybe receiving input or feedback from somebody is difficult for you for a host of reasons. Maybe it's difficult to receive a gift or blessing from somebody because of a host of reasons. But real relationships do not happen without giving and receiving. You can have acquaintances. You can have people you run into. But real relationships, real community only happen when there's enough humility on both parties to both give and receive. This is actually what you see happening here. There's, there's three things specifically that the early church shared, and I think it's helpful for us to look at uh, this morning. Uh, Acts 4.32, the next verse, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. They were doing what? You know, you weren't witnesses to the testimony, or you weren't witnesses to the resurrection, but you, if you are saved, have experienced the power of the resurrection when Jesus gave you new life. And so really what he's saying is they continued to share spiritually. They continued to share the good news of Jesus. They continued to share the gospel. They continued to tell others that Jesus changes everything. Now, for some of us, um, this may feel intimidating because you don't feel like you can stand up here and preach, but... But listen, what he's saying is you, you talked about the testimony of how Jesus changed your life. You can do that. You can tell somebody about uh, where you were before you found Jesus and how you found Jesus and, and where you are now. That, that's what he's talking about, that we would share with others. And as you consider the, the context of small groups, I mentioned this a little bit last week, but there will come a point where you're going to run into somebody in a group struggling or, or about to deal with something in life, and you can go, I've been there. I know what that feels like. And let me tell you, I didn't get it all right. Here's the four things I did really dumb that I wish I had never done. Here's some scriptures that encouraged my heart and spoke to me. Can I pray for you? Can I walk with you through this? You know personally what a lifeline that is when somebody comes and does it to you and helps you in those spaces. 
you have an opportunity to do that for somebody else. And likewise, you're going to run into things that you've never encountered yet, and you don't have to face them alone. Somebody has been there before. Somebody has walked that road and, and is willing to help you through that. It's how we grow spiritually when others look in. Because here's the deal. I'm amazingly godly when nobody's around. I never say anything stupid when my wife isn't home. Right? Like, but all of a sudden you introduce people... And it's revealed to me how far I still have to go. Why? Because community refines us. It pulls and draws us out and then points us by grace to Jesus. Here's the next thing in verse 34. And there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see them not only sharing spiritually, but they, they put some uh, money where their mouth is, basically, and they begin to share financially with each other. They begin to say, okay, uh, and we can meet your needs spiritually, but also your roof's falling off. Well, let, let's help. You need help doing this. All right, let's help. You're struggling with a bill. Sweet. Let's help. Because this following Jesus thing isn't some theory we just sing kumbaya around. We're called to live this life, to do what Jesus did, right? Following Jesus means doing what Jesus did. I'm going to go ahead and throw that up there. Following Jesus means doing what, Jesus, or what he did. Now, he already went to the cross. He already paid that. We don't have to do that. But we do have to love, serve, sacrifice, and give because that's what he modeled for us. Our first line of defense here for difficulties in people's life is small group. When a financial crisis or a personal crisis hits, the first question I ask them on the phone is, whose small group are you in? Why? Because that is the group that is designed and created to rally around you, to hold you and support you. Now, when the need becomes too big for the small group, the whole church body can get behind you. But um, so often I hear amazing stories of somebody going, man, I was really struggling. And some of you in here have been uh, battling sickness or cancer and your group comes alongside of you and rallies around and cooks you meals. Like, it's amazing what community can do. That's what it means for us, that we would be invested in the lives of people. The third one comes out of a couple chapters earlier. In Acts chapter uh, 2, it says this. Every day they continued to meet together in, in the temple courts. Let me just pause right there. Um, we won't have small groups every day, but it doesn't mean you can't have life-giving relationship and community every day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Joy was found in community praising God and enjoying all the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's the third thing for us. It's that we would share with the lost. As you consider groups, and, and I'm speaking here largely to those who maybe have been in the faith for a while and you've been in your group for a long time, one of the greatest detriments to your community and your small group would begin to build walls around it. To begin to say, no, we're full, uh, nobody else, we're good, right? Like, there's, there's, let's just be honest. When you finally find a group of people that you all get along and you all hang out with, there can be this hesitancy for some of us to invite somebody new into it because they might mess it up, right? They might throw a wrench in the dynamics or they might say some things that make us uncomfortable because they don't know any better. Listen, the moment your group stops caring for the loss, it is off mission, the moment we as a church stop caring for the lost, we are off mission. Now, we can meet 
on Sundays, and we can meet in groups. And if we don't care about reaching lost people, we are not being the church. We are being a club. That is not what Jesus died for. He died that we collectively would move together with open arms to people far from Jesus, like somebody did for us once, and say, come on over. Come, come have dinner. I got some friends coming over for dinner Wednesday night. They don't need to know it's your small group. I got some friends coming over for dinner on Wednesday night. You want to come hang out? Yeah, sure. We'd love that. You got them trapped, all right? Great move. So if somebody invites you, you know what happened, all right? Why? Because what are they going to experience? They are going to experience what it looks like and what they crave. They'd be known, loved, heard, and cared for. The simplest desires of all human nature met around your dinner tables around your couches. There should be lost people on your couches. There should be lost people in your lives because that's why we're here. Let me close with this. There's a level of spiritual maturity that you will never reach without a group of people helping you, helping you move towards Jesus. There's a level of maturity in your marriage that you will never reach without a group of people helping you move towards Jesus. There's a level of influence in your job that you will never reach without a group of people helping you move towards Jesus. There's a level of parenting that you will never reach without. On and on and on it goes. Why? Because we were designed that we needed other people to point us to Jesus. And we were designed to help point other people to Jesus. No surprise to this sermon. It's all set up for you to sign up to small groups, okay? If you have a better way to be connected than small groups, we're open to hear it. We're not married to this idea. We just think it's the best way we currently know how for you to create connections with people that are going to care for you. And so uh, we have a bunch of them here. Um, if, you, if you don't have a small group and you would love one, one of these would love to absorb you. Um, if none of these times work for you, please tell us. We would love to try to find a group that may meet for you. It may end up being at one of our other locations if there's a time that works better for you. Uh, we would love to make that happen. But, but here they are. You have uh, a women's group Tuesday night in the Milford. Women's group Tuesday night here in Halstead. Uh, we have a group called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, uh, we used to run this as a full program, but it is for uh, those with hurts, habits, and hangups. Um, if there's some things you're battling, some behavior patterns, or maybe some substance abuse, or whatever it might be, um, this group would, would be a great place. There's a great curriculum that helps uh, walk through those. Uh, Joe uh, Ledone is in charge of that. It would be a, a great connection there. Uh, there's a ladies young adult. Uh, if you're all the way out in Hancock, we have a group out there. And then we have a group kind of on the north side of uh, New York there up in Castle Creek. Wednesdays, you have the Zidans, home-cooked Italian food. I'm just saying, the best groups have Tony's cooking. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thursday at the Wyman's. Uh, Thursday as well, Vern here in Halstead. Friday down at the Connollys, a little bit south, and then over by Montrose, Friday night at 6.30. On the way out, we have some programs that are this and on paper we'd love to give you. Uh, if you're not in a group, we would love to help you get connected to one. If you don't think you need a group, here's what I would say to you. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you go, you know what, I don't need this. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you say, I don't need this. Here's, here's really what we mean when we say becoming more like Jesus. Becoming kinder gentler, wiser, more forgiving, more genuine, more free, more joyful. Do you not want that? <laughs> like, I don't think any of us would ever say we don't want those things in our life. Being free of the things you hate, like, of course we all want those things. That's what we mean when we say becoming more like Jesus. 
that we would leave behind the old man, that we would be embraced with everything we really want, which is love and joy and peace. Well, we know as believers that doesn't happen apart from the supernatural work of Jesus saving us. And Jesus told us that work doesn't continue in our life unless you're with the body of Christ, which is going to help you grow. And so if you want to be grumpier, meaner, less forgiving, less happy, and miss out on a bunch of good things in life, don't join a group. All right? That's my answer to you. Let's pray. Dearly, Father, we love you. We thank you that the perfect relationship of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, was open arms to me. Imperfect, broken, messed up, but accepted. Loved and changed by that love. God, I pray that our communities, our connections, our relationships would be marked by that kind of love. Transformational, come on over and let me introduce you to life-changing love. God, we need that in our lives. I need that in my life. Would you allow this church and this community to be a pillar for the people around here, the lost and hurting to come find hope, for the struggling Christian to find something to anchor themselves to? God, we want to make a difference for your name and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.